Hello there, friends. This is Spencer Michaud. And today we're going to be talking about the sun's movement into the third decan of Pisces. So this is 20 degrees of Pisces through the final 10 degrees of the sign. I hope that you're all doing well out there today. Uh, we're going to look at some stories associated with this particular decan. We're going to do a little bit of reading from Hesiod and learn about um, Pandora and Prometheus today. Uh, I will do read a little excerpt regarding the Ten of Cups as well. We'll talk a little bit about Pegasus and the fixed star Markab. And uh, as usual, we'll do an I Ching reading. Um, if you are enjoying these videos, make sure that you are subscribed to the channel. Uh, hit that like button. Leave me a comment. Let me know all about your experience in the final days of Pisces here. If you would like to make a material donation to the work that I do, uh, you can support me on a site called buymeacoffee.com. There will be a link in the profile. All right, let's move forward. So I hope that you're all doing well out there today. I did want to make one more announcement before we move on is tomorrow, if you're reading this or reading, if you're listening to this, uh, Thursday evening, I will be doing a live stream for the new moon in uh, Pisces. So we are going to have a new moon on Saturday the 13th, and I'll be doing a live stream from about 1 p.m. to about 2 o'clock or so, maybe about an hour and some change, where you can come and chat and ask me questions about the new moon. We'll talk about some of the things that that we are going to explore here today, as and as well as a few additional notes um, so yeah, come check that out. All right, so what we're dealing with today is the sun uh, hanging out in a Deccan that is ruled by Mars. So Jupiter is the host of Pisces, as we've learned through some of our studies. But here we're looking at kind of an area of that Jupiter-ruled house where we may be um, desiring to make a sacrifice this was a decan that had some themes of martyrdom. Uh, you know, in Austin Kopic's very good book, 36 Faces, he talks about the extremes of emotion, you know, the heights of, of ecstasy and the, the pitfalls of, of agony and defeat. So we have this kind of very, um, I don't know, we have a lot of different directions we could go with this, with this type of energy that we're experiencing right now. And as I'm recording this, the sun is making a conjunction or just passed through a conjunction with Neptune. So that's coloring all of our experiences as well. Um, so if we look at the condition of the sun briefly here, the sun will have some dignity by being in its own terms. Uh, actually, oh, nope, never mind. <laughs> We're moving through the final degrees. Uh, there, you know, the sun does not is not a bound ruler. So that is one one thing to consider. The sun and the moon uh, do not uh, are not assigned bound rulerships. So the sun is peregrine throughout the the, the sign of Pisces, um, but it will be on the terms of Mars through 19 to 28 degrees, and then moving into the terms of Saturn from 28 to 30 degrees. So this is the area of the the sign where we often see at the end of a sign, we have malefic bound lords, Saturn and Mars. 
So a little bit more of a difficult um, teacher, a diff more difficult curriculum setter as we are moving forward through the sign and getting to the end of a sign. A lot of the times people will talk about an anoretic degree or a final degree of a sign being more difficult. And there are some astrological theorists out there that maybe talk about these, these malefic bound lords having something to do with that. So something to consider. Uh, the tarot card associated with this decan is the Ten of Cups. And we can see this here if I stop my share for just a minute. We can see that we've got a, um, a couple and a dance with some dancing children that are exalting this beautiful rainbow that have these ten cups of attainment. Over the course of Pisces season, we've had a story that we've been exploring where we started out with the eight of cups with a figure that was leaving some kind of material success behind in search of a higher spiritual meaning with, with uh, this cloaked figure going off into the mountains underneath the, uh, the crescent moon. And then in the nine of cups, we have a figure that is, you know, looking quite satisfied and, and uh, was able to fulfill maybe uh, a wish that he made. Um, and, but we had the caution of being able to not mistake material uh, fulfillment for spiritual fulfillment. And eventually, as we get to the kind of the, the last card here with the Ten of Cups, we are seeing kind of this, you know, this fulfillment of the vision, maybe even a spiritual fulfillment of a vision. So uh, there are definitely some themes of like, your dream coming true within this decan, but there are some stories that are some cautionary tales as well. So we have to kind of always, we always have to take a balanced viewpoint. Um, when, especially when we're dealing with a decan that is has associations with the, you know, extremes of emotion. How can we find the the middle ground? I think that's always the the viewpoint that I'm going to take is how can we find our equilibrium? All right. So, Book of T calls this. Uh, Satiety, okay, and uh, that is a, a word that means the condition of being full or gratified beyond the point of satisfaction. Okay, so we may be, um, you know, filling our cups up, uh, but there may be some overflow, right? There may be something where we're even going beyond the measure that is necessary. This is where we can, you know, our vision can turn into some kind of crusade or some kind of sacrifice if we go beyond what is necessary for the situation at hand. So that's something to consider. Okay. Uh, the book of, of Toth calls this perfected success. And Austin Kopic, uh, you know, piggybacking off of the Mars theme and the sacrificial theme, calls it a cup of blood. Okay. So again, for our spiritual vision, what are we willing to sacrifice to bring that into fruition? What did we have to give up to, to be able to, to manifest that which, uh, you know, was our, our charge or that which we desire, okay? Um, we do have a daimon associated with this decan called Elpis, which roughly translates to hope. Uh, and a fixed star at 23 degrees of Pisces called Markab, which is associated with um, Pegasus, the flying horse. So we'll talk about Pegasus in a minute here. What I did want to do is I did want to uh, briefly discuss the Sun-Neptune aspect that we were experiencing here and today and probably yesterday 
uh, of the like around the oh what is the date the ninth and the tenth or so of March. Um, my experience of of Neptune has been always been one that is a mixed bag. Like I think that a lot of the times in um, a lot of astrological literature, they talk about Neptune as you know fantasy about like the, this grand grandiose dream. Um, something where also with bringing in illusion and this desire to want to merge with some kind of divine consciousness or spirituality, wanting to transcend physical reality. Um, and a lot of times we can think of it like with these these glamours that we could see. I posted a little Instagram story yesterday with, uh, you know, Sun conjunct Neptune the expectation, you know, unicorns, rainbows, and all the beautiful things of the world. And uh, Sun conjunct Neptune, the next slide was uh, lived reality, which was like a picture of a blob fish, like melting into a puddle. That's really been my experience, my personal experience of Neptune contacts in, in um, you know, in my chart, or if, if it, I've had transits with Neptune is just, it just sucks the life right out of me, you know, like it, it makes me feel like I want to melt into something, and I think that the concept of uh, dissolving really resonates with me. Um, Robert Schmidt calls Neptune a transcendental moon. That was one of the theories he had about the outer planets, called Uranus the transcendental sun, uh, Neptune the transcendental moon, and Mercury or Pluto was like a transcendental Mercury. So an interesting correlation that he had with that. Uh, and this was a thought exercise that he had where he was talking about. Neptune being dissolving in back into universal substance. He almost compared it to like the absence of some kind of animating spirit, like we would consider something with the sun. You know, the moon has often been associated with substance. Um, and if we think about it in this more like universal substance rather than just like more specific substance, it, this could see, we could see Neptune transits as, you know, this urge or this daimon that would, you know, encourage us to dissolve into that puddle so that we return to source, right? Um, but I don't know if it's necessarily to do, to have this great spiritual awakening. I think it's just dissolving back into the the stuff, you know, back into the the puddle that creation ultimately can interact with, with, you know, intelligence, divine intelligence could interact with in some kind of a chemical mixture. But I think it's almost like an achemical solvent where we're separating things out on some level. Um, so I don't know. I think that's something to think about with Neptune and, and my personal experience with it. Um, you know, it it always brings up difficult emotions. I think that uh, I think that we can definitely get blinded by what we want to happen versus what is actually happening in our life. And I think we'll see that with the I Ching reading that will come up for this, this deck in as well. But before I get to, you know, go further on that track, I did want to read you some stories. So I started this video while uh, the Ascendant was at about 22 degrees of Cancer, right on my natal Mercury, which is also very close to a fixed star called Pollux, which was one of the storytellers of Gemini. So figured today would be some story time. So one of the uh, spirits associated with Pisces 3 is called Elpis, which we talked about translates to hope. And Elpis is part of the story of Pandora. 
So what I want to do is I want to read to you from this little book of Hesiod, which includes theogony and works and days. So this is one of the Loeb Classical Library translations edited and translated by Glenn W. Most. And it has both the Greek and the English translations, which I think is kind of cool. But we're looking at um, works and days. This is page 91 on this book. And I wanted to read you uh, the story of Pandora. Now, to set the scene, Prometheus has just stolen fire from the gods and, you know, secretly given it to humankind uh, against the wishes of Zeus, kind of the, I don't know, the king or the, the ordering principle or the, the, the person in power at that particular time in this cosmological system. Okay, so Zeus is not very happy about this. Zeus is, is upset that he was deceived by Prometheus. Um, so he talks about like um, the things leading up to this speak to the um, the life creative force, you know, the creative life force that Zeus had that he was not willing to give to humanity. And this, I quote, it says, but Zeus concealed it, angry in his heart because crooked counseled Prometheus, aka forethought, had deceived him. For that reason, he devised baneful evils for human beings, and he concealed fire. But the good son of Iapetus stole it back from the counselor Zeus in a hollow fennel stalk for human beings, escaping the notice of Zeus who delights in the thunderbolt. But the cloud gatherer Zeus spoke to him in, in anger, son of Iapetus, you who know counsels beyond all others. You are pleased that you have stolen fire and beguiled my mind, a great grief for you yourself and for men to come. To them I shall give an exchange for fire, an evil in which they may all take pleasure in their spirit, embracing their own evil. So he spoke, and he laughed out loud, the father of men and of gods. He commanded renowned Hephaestus to mix earth with water as quickly as possible, and to put the voice and strength of a human into it, and to make a beautiful, lovely form of a maiden, similar in her face to the immortal goddesses. He told Athena to teach her crafts, to weave richly worked cloth, and golden Aphrodite to shed grace and painful desire and limb-devouring cares around her head. And he ordered Hermes, the intermediary, the killer of Argus, to put a dog's mind and a thievish character into her. So he spoke, and they obeyed Zeus, the lord, Kronos' son. Immediately the famous lame one, Hephaestus fabricated out of earth a likeness of a mo modest maiden. By the plans of Cronos's son, the goddess, bright-eyed Athena, gave her a girdle and ornaments. The goddess's graces and queenly persuasion placed gold and jewelry all around her body. The beautiful-haired seasons crowned her all around with spring flowers, and Pallas Athena fitted the whole ornamentation to her body. Then into her breast, the intermediary, the killer of Argus, a.k.a. Hermes, set lies and guileful words, and a thievish character. By the plans of deep-thundering Zeus and the messenger of the gods placed a voice in her and named this woman Pandora, which translates to all gifts. Pan, all, Dora, gifts. Okay. 
since all those who have their mansions on Olympus had given her a gift, a woe for men who live on bread. When he had completed the sheer intractable deception, the father sent the famous killer of Argus, the swift messenger of the gods, to take her as a gift to Epimetheus, afterthought. And Epimetheus did not consider that Prometheus had told him never to accept a gift from the Olympian Zeus, but to send it back again, lest something evil happen to mortals. It was only after he accepted her, when he had already had the evil, that he understood. For previously the tribes of men used to live upon the earth entirely apart from evils, and without grievous toil and distressful diseases, which gave death to men. For in misery mortals grow old at once. But the woman removed the great lid from the storage jar, and with her hands and scattered all its contents abroad. She wrought baneful evils to human beings. Only anticipation or hope remained there in its unbreakable home under the mouth of the storage jar and did not fly out. For before that could happen, she closed the lid of the storage jar by the plans of the Aegis holder, the cloud gatherer Zeus, by countless other miseries roaming among mankind. For the earth is full of evils and the sea is full. And some sicknesses come upon men by day and others by night of their own accord, bearing evils to mortals in silence, since the counselor Zeus took away their voice. Thus it is not possible in any way to evade the mind of Zeus. Okay, so some things to unpack with that, right? This was speaking about Pandora and kind of, you know, Zeus creating her or having Hephaestus create her as a punishment to humankind. This is sort of echoing the story of uh, Eve in the Garden of Eden. Now, one thing to consider that we have to, you know, the elephant in the room for uh, modern minds is that this story was probably wrought within a very patriarchal society where they may have, you know, cast a lot of aspersion on uh, and blame on on the, the sacred feminine or on women or female type of experience in general. So we have to consider that and acknowledge it and see if we can come to uh, some kind of new understanding that may be more appropriate for our time. So with that disclaimer being, being said, um, I want to read you another quote from this book, Classical Mythology, that we're, where we can start to unpack some of this meaning. This is Classical Mythology by Mark Morford and Robert Lenardin. This is on page 56, and we're going to hear a little bit of a, an explanation of what this could mean with hope and Prometheus, and also how Prometheus might have given hope to uh, alleviate some of the suffering of, of humanity knowing of their own demise. Okay, so I quote, Details in the story of Pandora are disturbing in their tantalizing ambiguity. What is hope doing in the jar along with countless evils? If it is a good, it is a curious inclusion. If it too is an evil, why is it stopped at the rim? What then is its precise nature, whether a blessing or a curse? Is hope in the last analysis the one thing that enables man to survive the terrors of this life and inspires him with lofty ambition? Yet is it also by its very character delusive and blind? luring him on to prolong his misery. 
It is tempting to see in Ascalaeus's play, sorry, I don't know how to pronounce that one correctly, Prometheus Bound, an interpretation and elaboration. Man was without hope until Prometheus gave it to him along with fire. But the hope bestowed is called blind. It is an epithet, is the epithet merely, merely ornamental or deliberately descriptive. The pertinent dialogue between Prometheus and the chorus of the Oceaneids runs as follows. Prometheus says, I stopped mortals from foreseeing their fate. And the chorus asks, What sort of remedy did you find for this plague? And Prometheus responds, I planted in them blind hopes. And the chorus asks, This was a great advantage that you gave mortals. And Prometheus says, And besides, I gave them fire. Okay, so we have this kind of question whether this blind hope is a good thing or not. Um, and we can see that Elpis, hope, is the direct counterpart to morose, which is roughly translates to doom or hopelessness, or this knowledge of, you know, sort of our, uh, our own destruction. And this may be one of the things that sets humanity apart from other creatures. And I, I don't know this for sure because I'm a human being and I don't necessarily have the consciousness of another animal. But uh, I do know that as human beings, we are aware that one day we will die and that this life is impermanent and that we won't necessarily live forever in these mortal shells or in these bodies. And um, that brings up some really interesting questions as far as how do we deal with that knowledge? Are we dealing with it through hope? Is that what drives us to keep uh, creating, to keep moving forward in our life, to keep, um, you know, to keep on keeping on without despair? And um, it's, it's very interesting because I think that this, this concept of hope can both lead us to great visionary works can also lead us to uh, great failures. A lot of the times, if we are creating and sacrificing for the wrong cause or through our hubris, that can lead to a great downfall and a great fall from grace. And I think that that's something that we're going to have to consider as we move through the sun in the third decan of Pisces. Um, I've heard some other folks talk about that this new moon that's upcoming on the 13th is a, a great one for making a wish, and it may very well be. Um, I think that the key, though, is is with any other Piscean placement, uh, when we are pouring our faith and our hope and our desire into a container, which, you know, Pisces isn't necessarily known for being the container. It is the substance, right? We have to make sure that what container in this material world that we're pouring all of that uh, impetus into is one that is... Um, healthy, one that is based on, uh, you know, maybe what is possible versus what isn't, uh, that is in alignment with natural law and order. Uh, we have to be careful that we aren't making a sacrifice for something that ultimately could lead to our doom, right? Uh, and that's ultimately all of these things are going to, to arise and then fade away. That's just part of the nature of, of physical reality. Um, but, but maybe what kind of things are you putting out into the world that might be enduring? 
I think the most enduring things are the ones that are motivated by, uh, by a more higher spiritual consciousness, by something that is of service to others rather than self-serving. I think this is another key with this. Um, I think this is a key with using astrology in general. I think a lot of the times uh, we can, you know, try to ask, you know, sort of like, you know, that quote from JFK, uh, we sometimes ask what astrology can do for us. And I think that when we are getting divine directive and divine consciousness and looking at astrology, I think a lot of the questions that, that I want to ask, and maybe a more appropriate question is, what can we give? What can we, how can we utilize these symbols to understand timing, to understand meaning, and to be able to understand what type of service we can perform in regards to, um, you know, being able to contribute to di divinity and divine consciousness and that which wishes to be born. I think that we're always more powerful when we are thinking about how we can be of service rather than how we can um, just get something from the universe. That doesn't mean that you can't receive. Sometimes to be a great provider, you have to have the resources to begin a project, uh, you know, but it's a continuous flow. It's a continuous cycle. And I think that if your initial um, point of entry is I need these resources so that I can provide something greater than myself rather than to, to hoard them in some kind of like endless pursuit of pleasure or desire, uh, then I think that the success rate, I think it goes up. I think that um, from my experience, um, this benevolent universe tends to support that those types of visions that are in support of more collective ideals a little bit more than, than, than personal ones. Not to say that, you know, that people don't achieve personal desires. I think that they do. Um, but I think that there's a limit to that. Whereas if you join together in something that is more beneficial to a collective, um, that has the energy of um, 10 cups rather than one, right? It has the energy of the hopes and wishes of a collective versus the hopes and wishes of an individual. And how much more powerful could we be if we tap into that type of experience where we're sharing a dream, where we're all contributing to uh, a dream that is, you know, one that will bring more peace, more wisdom, more awareness to our, to this life that we are living here. Um, so that's, that's Prometheus, Alpis, and kind of the, I think the the vibe of, of Pisces um, 3. I did want to kind of give a shout out to this book that I just recently received, 36 Secrets by T. T Susan Chang. Just listened to a really nice um, interview with her on the astrology podcast, which I highly recommend with Chris Brennan, where they were talking about oracular space and, and about the difference between tarot and astrology and the similarities and a lot of the things that we've been talking about here in regards to Jeffrey Cornelius and thinking about, um, you know, the daimon and, and creating oracular space to, to receive messages. And I did want to read one little quote from her in her section on the, the Ten of Cups. She says, whether you see the Ten of Cups as a fantasy to fulfill or an illusion to shatter, 
or a parable of love and loss depends on where you stand. Is the rainbow magical because of or despite of its fleeting nature? Would you value it as highly if it were not doomed to vanish, even whilst dangling the illusion of hope before your eyes? And is the real truth that this cycle of birth and death, love and loss, will repeat infinitely any less hopeful than the perfect personal coda you thought you would first glimpsed in its prismatic arc? Interesting. I think that is a bit of a meditation on impermanence. And just because we are aware of our impending doom, I don't think that that means that we have to give up hope. Remember, this is where the balance comes in. Just because we're aware that what we create is fleeting, just because we're aware that this rainbow may only last maybe a few hours in the sky after a thunderstorm, doesn't mean we can't appreciate its beauty. And I think that's, that's sort of the what I'm gathering from all of this and this Piscean Deccan is I think that if we just embrace the impermanence, if we just embrace the fact that we are, are living this fleeting human life that, you know, give or take, you know, 60 to 70, 80 years, uh, whatever time we're allotted, um, we have to make the most of it, right? But we make the most of it, I think, through balancing out um, giving and receiving, service, and, you know, things of that nature. Okay, let's talk a little bit about Markab before we move on. And I'm going to share my screen here with uh, Starry Night Pro because I wanted you to see what we're looking at in the sky here. So here is Markab, and it's part of the constellation Pegasus. And it is part of a, uh, an arrangement of stars that are kind of have the formation of a square. Okay, we have uh, Shiat here, Shiat, Shiat, S-C-H-E-A-T. Never know how to pronounce that one without, uh, you know, going down that path. There's another one called El Janib. And then we have a, there's another angle of, of the square over here somewhere. But this star is in the saddle of Pegasus. And uh, in the research I was doing through books like Bernadette Brady and, and her work on fixed stars, she talks a lot about this fixed star having to do with stability. Um, of course, Pegasus was the winged horse that, that sprang forth from the severed head of Medusa. So through, through conquering some kind of, I don't know, part of ourself or, or demon or, or some kind of um, monster to overcome, we spring forth into maybe this this action or or even this stability, and we we have Pegasus associated with freedom and but also horses and horses were animals that supported humanity throughout history. Through their domestication, uh, we've been able to ride further distances. We've been able to carry heavier things. Um, they they are definitely representative of, of being a helper to humanity. And Pegasus was a white horse associated that, that color in myth associated with purity. So, so the purity of, of service. Um, but also when we have this kind of um, saddle energy, this may be something where we are riding, you know, in some kind of uh, 
I don't know, we may be coming across something that will be able to support us throughout this, this, uh, this time frame. And maybe even that what supports us is the power of our belief. Maybe we have a stabilizing belief where we have found an animating principle and we have found a purpose that we are willing to make sacrifices for. Sometimes when you're trying to bring a vision into fruition, you have to give up some of the other imagined paths. I've been talking with a Gemini friend of mine who uh, had a lot of different pathways that, that, that he could have gone on. And a lot of the advice that I've been giving to him is, you know, for one of those dreams to live, some of the others have to be sacrificed. And that's true when we finally find something worth sacrificing for. We have to give up something. We have to give up those imagined other paths. And that might be part of this, this story here. Okay. So what I wanted to finish off with was our I Ching reading. We do have one aspect over the course of this, this uh you know, solar cycle, this part of the solar cycle. We, of course, had the conjunction with Neptune on the 10th. We do have the new moon happening on the 13th. So a, a regeneration of that new cycle, that new, uh, you know, where the moon is being infused with this type of energy that we're talking about today, with this maybe willingness to sacrifice for our goals. But again, having to be conscious of maybe the ephemeral nature uh, and the dual nature of, of hope and, and morose or, or doom and the fleeting nature of life itself. Um, but we do have a, a sextile between the sun and Pluto on the 16th. So there is a harmonious aspect between the sun and this third decan and Pluto moving through the last decan of Capricorn. So uh, we may start having a belief or being moving towards a goal that will help us to administrate some of the physical um, you know, achievements or the physical things in our life that we need to, to manage. That third decan of Capricorn has to do with like, uh, you know, governance. Um, and we may be finally starting to, to have an awareness, the sun, of what kind of corruption, Pluto, that needs to be unclogged to be able to move forward towards our vision. I always think of Pluto as sort of like the, the plumber, uh, you know, like the divine plumber where it's showing us where we may have fallen into repressing something underground that needs to be dealt with. And through the sun shining its light on that area, we may, there may be something that enables us to move forward and to, to organize our lives in a little bit um, with a little bit more grace. All right. So light, as I like to do when I uh, do these videos, I like to do an I Ching reading. And the I Ching that I got today is 21. So I will draw this on the screen here. And here we have, I'm going to draw the hexagram uh, or the, the trigram of fire in the upper position. Okay, that's fire. And then I'm going to draw the trigram of thunder in the lower position. So we have fire above thunder, and that creates 21, which is called biting through or reform. So this is like lightning and thunder together, like the, the combination of those two that is sort of clearing the air, right? Like think about, think about the, like before, the moment before a thunderstorm, there is this tension that is building in the atmosphere. 
So you have this like feeling that something is about to happen. And it may feel a little ominous because you may not, it may feel a little dangerous. You may not know what is going to happen. Uh, you know, animals start to get anxious and, and run for cover. Um, but we know that that we want relief from that tension. And 21 is about kind of, I think, breaking through that tension to be able to find truth. And uh, Hillary Barrett, in her translation, asks these two questions. She says, what must you do to get to the truth? How can you become more effective? And in uh, some of the other translations that I have, I have maybe five or six translations in, uh, that I reference when I'm doing this research. A lot of it talks about chewing through like an old piece of meat, like, like jerky, like, like you've got something tough, an issue that you've been working on for quite some time. You have the tension that's been building in the atmosphere, like the, the clouds are dark, the air is heavy, the wind is starting to pick up. And by, by chewing on this through our, through, through, you know, through not ignoring a situation, through like really just taking it into our body and kind of going over it and trying to figure out how we're going to soften it through working through it. Um, we may be able to start overcoming some of the obstacles and illusions and begin to restore our world to order or your world to order, whatever it is that you are trying to do. They talk about this hexagram where the reform in your life um, is required because of maybe some imbalance, and there is a need to enforce natural law and administrate some kind of justice. So perhaps through our awareness of what we are now willing to give up, what we are, what our animating principle is, then we have to kind of start to like figure out, okay, if we have a, an issue in our life that we've been chewing on for a while, how do we create order around that? What is possible? What isn't possible? Um, this might be about setting healthy boundaries. Pisces uh, placements and pla Pisces season isn't necessarily known as the, the, the place of boundaries, right? So there may be some situations where a line has been overstepped and we have to start to reestablish that as we prepare for the birth of spring. And in that birth of spring, we will be, the sun will be moving through the uh, sign of Aries, which is a Mars ruled sign where we will be separating from this universal uh, cosmic ocean to find a singular point of consciousness again. That's the ultimate boundary, you know, the boundary between our individual consciousness and the universal consciousness. So that may be what we're preparing for. We can kind of see the light on the horizon here. So just think about that energy of thunder and lightning that, that releases the tension that is built up in the atmosphere. All right, everyone. I think that that is what I have for you today. Um, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. I really appreciate all of you as an audience. Uh, remember, I, tomorrow, uh, if you're watching this in the evening on Thursday, we'll be doing a live stream at 1 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time on YouTube. So there will be a link to that on my channel. Uh, even if you don't miss, if you, if you do miss that live, that there will be a replay. So check that out as well. We'll, we'll expand on some of these themes. So your homework is, if you're watching this, watch this video, think about it, meditate on it. Tell me how some of these stories have been coming up and, you know, ask a question in the chat tomorrow and, and hopefully I can help bring maybe some more 
peace of mind to, to the, the things that you're working on or chewing on, maybe we can try to shed some light on the situation together. So as always, if you're enjoying this work, make sure you're subscribed to the channel, hit that like button, leave me a comment. And if you want to support the work that I do, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com. So thanks everyone for hanging out today. Remember, uh, try to be kind to one another and most of all, be kind to yourself and I will see you the next time. Peace.